C-A-M-P-A-D-U-L-T-H-O-O-D Camp Adulthood Bridging the Millennial Divide One conversation at a time Interviewing guests Strangers and friends We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood Hello and welcome to Camp Adulthood and the Resident Youth. I'm the Resident Youth, Maddie Yergi. And I'm Camp Adulthood, Shay Keats. And I am so excited for our guest today. I can't even tell you guys. Um, her name is Jane Cassidy, and I have known her basically her entire life. Um, she is a lifestyle and beauty vlogger and Instagrammer. And also, she was the first kid I ever babysat way back in... 1997, probably 1997. Um, and additionally, what's really fun about that story, which we can get into later, is her mom babysat me back in like 1989. Wow, so the it's cycle good continues. Times. I know. Good time cycle, small town. Um, but Janie, why don't you introduce yourself? Um, tell us a little bit about yourself in your own words and how old you are and where you're from and where you're living now. Yeah, so my name is Janie, like she was saying. Um, I have my blog called Pretty to Think So. I do a lot of makeup stuff, some fashion, just some lifestyle. Um, I'm from Franklin, Pennsylvania, and now I live in Vienna, Virginia. And is that outside of D.C.? <laughs> what? And I'm 24. Sorry. 24. Okay, great. Awesome. Yay. Cool. Well, thanks, Janie, for joining us. So we can dive right into our hot topic segment, our toasty campfire topics. Shay, what do you have for us? Okay, so it was so funny because I was all ready to dive in with a millennial moment, and then I was like, "Oh yeah, we don't do that anymore." When oh, we <laughs> well, we can switch it up. It's our show. It is. It is our show. One. But I will just I'll just say both things because I'm really excited about it. First of all, I went to Costco today because the first time I've gone to an establishment since. Oh yeah. How was your May prescription 16th, pickup? Or March 16th. I didn't even have to go in. I did drive through. Oh, wow. Crazy. Yeah. So, but I actually went into Costco and while I was there, I bought a soda stream and I thought, why not? And I was very excited to this make is, my own sparkling water. This is so hilarious. I feel like this is a universal millennial moment because <laughs> producer Jenny and her roommate Zoe, um, they also bought a soda stream during quarantine and they bought it off the internet. I'm not sure where from, and the order ended up getting duplicated. So everything in their online order, they got two of the items. Oh and so Jenny's been like peddling the soda stream, and I live walking distance from her. And in New York, it's obviously hard to see people that you don't live walking distance from now. Um, and so I've, I've been thinking about actually buying the soda stream off of them, but I'm very partial to Coca-Cola brand soda and they don't sell the Coca-Cola syrup for the soda stream. So we're actually, I'm going over there in a few days and we're going to do a cola taste test to see if the soda stream, the soda stream cola syrup is an acceptable substitute. And then I too will own a soda stream. It's pretty – the reason I – well, we had kind of gotten – Dave and I were really into sparkling water for a while, and now yeah. – Corey is too. I was, yeah, but then we, like, stopped because it's bad for the earth to buy all that stuff in cans. But then my friend Michelle bought me this giant thing of, like, margarita wine, and she's like, cut it with LaCroix. And I was like, but I don't have any because we gave it up. So then I went – 
and I procured some sparkling water made by a soda stream from my cousin. And then I was like, this is the best. And now I need one. And they were at Costco, so I got it. My actual campfire topic, let me move into my current event, um, is the New York Times has this newsletter. I'm a big fan of the New York Times newsletters. But this one, it really, really bugs me. It was originally meant to be for millennials and Gen Z. And then they switched it. And now the title of the newsletter is wait, dot, 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 like when dumb young people are like, wait, what? Oh, I thought you were talking about like W-E-I-G-H-T, like it's a weight loss thing now. (laughs) I was like, what the fuck? No, W-A-I-T. So it, and the articles are usually pretty dumb, but there was one last week that was, wait, how are influencers making money now? And it just talks about it. And I thought it was really interesting. um, And I thought it'd be interesting to talk about with Janie since she's a mini influencer herself. But what I thought was really interesting, um, you know, so basically the question that was posed was, is it, you know, kind of gross that these influencers are still making money when everyone is in such a tight economic world now with with the COVID-19 crisis? But You know, then it talks about, well, like, this is their job. So why are they any less, you know, have any less right to make money than the next person? Um, But also, I thought it was interesting because the one gal, her name is Taylor, says, a cooking influencer who puts their entire library of recipes behind a paywall on Patreon, for instance, might gain subscribers because they're providing something of value. But now I'm like, what? Why why do we have to call her a cooking influencer? Why can't she just be a chef? Yeah. You know, so I I guess that was actually my takeaway from the article is like, what is that distinction between an influencer and someone who's just really good at what they do and shares it on Instagram? How do you feel about that, Janie? Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with what you're saying because in some sense, the technology and like Instagram itself is just so much of like where life happens these days. So it's like, if you are good at your job, you most likely have adapted to that environment. And so you are sharing stuff there as well. But I can also see how some people might feel funny about, you know, those industries like thriving in times like this. Like I know a lot of the people I follow are, have been like asking their audience, like, are you okay with me still posting my normal content? Like, does that feel icky to you? Like, do you want me to? And it seems like a lot of feedback that they've been getting has been that it's like such an escape for people. So they want to still see like their normal content. But I mean, I'm not to the level where I'm like making money yet from my um, influencing. Yeah, I I would hope to someday. That would be awesome. But yeah, I think, I mean, there certainly are people that have a vibe about it that would rub people the wrong way but I think there's a lot of people out there that are just like doing their job yeah I think I definitely agree with that I think we've talked a lot about on this podcast in the past about how things that appeal to young people and particularly particularly women in general gets cheapened and just because it's something that women like it ends up being deemed as frivolous or whatever and especially now that it's like you know, people are in their houses, they don't have to go to work, is beauty and lifestyle influencing worthy. But so I'm so glad you brought up the escape thing, because that's how I feel. I'm kind of clinging to like, 
what's the most normal thing that I feel? And it's these people on Instagram that I'm glad that they're posting their normal stuff because I hate, this is like slightly tangential, but related, those um, TV commercials that are happening right now that are all the same where it's like the slow, soft music and it's like, we're all in this together. (laughs) And it's like, imagine if Instagram was that. It's just like everything is the same. It's like, we get it. Like, we're living this every day. We understand that it's tragic. We understand that there are heroes out there that deserve our gratitude and that's very important but that doesn't need to be everything and I appreciate people that are you know using their entertainment value for escape and stuff like that and I think going back to Shay's initial question the term influencer like a lot of a lot of millennial terms is kind of derogatory not derogatory but it kind of cheapens what people are doing and it's kind of like the Kardashians. It's like the catch-all if there's no way to describe someone and that inherently has less value, even though I don't think it should be. So that's and my two I cents on that. I think it can feel like two totally different things because I think there are people out there. There's a super loud dog barking. I'm so sorry to hear that. But, no worries. Um, there are people where they're like influencing business is like they're going to recommend products to you and that's what they're doing. And I think that is an influencer and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing but I think that is a separate thing from people that are more content creators that like more editorial almost yeah yeah but so I almost think that it gets overlapped more than it should interesting that's that very cool cool so quick sidebar but I'm curious um so Janie, do you consider yourself to be a millennial or a Gen Z? And just for reference, I'm, you know, I'm 36, so almost 36, not quite. So I'm clearly a millennial. Maddie's 26, so she's clearly a millennial, but you're really right on the cusp. So I was curious where you identify. I would, I think I fall more into millennial. Like I I was listening to your podcast about (laughs) when you were first talking about like the coronavirus and how like the people that are like on spring break and like doing that, like people are saying that's millennials. And I was very much like, that's not millennials. (laughs) I feel like I'm not that generation. Like I just downloaded TikTok like yesterday. (laughs) So that's where I am. Definitely cuspy. I feel that with my brother because my brother is your age. He's turning 24 in June. And obviously we grew up together, right? Like we're only two years apart. So we obviously have the same cultural touch points in terms of, you know, movies that we watch that are like millennial classics and stuff. But then I see TikTok as a perfect example. I don't use TikTok. I don't really have anything against it. It's just I haven't downloaded it. But my brother has had it since the beginning. And he was much more into Snapchat when that was all the rage and stuff. And he is much more in that vein. But I think he kind of grew into that in college, whereas I was kind of getting out of college when a lot of that stuff was starting. So it's very interesting, the cuspy generations for sure Very cool. yeah awesome uh, all right Maddie, what is your toasty campfire I have log? One. um an old school magazine my fave um so in the most recent may issue of vanity fair i've been reading i read a lot of magazines normally but now i actually have time to like sit with a cup of coffee and like read them cover to cover when normally I just kind of like skim them for stuff. So that's been nice quarantine activity. But there was an interesting article in the most recent Vanity Fair called The British Tabloid Invasion, How the Daily Mail is Conquering American Gossip by Joe Pompeo. And I thought this was really fascinating, both just from a millennial perspective and the place in the world that we're in, because 
there's so much news happening, just thing where how people get their news, people that, you know, depending on what source of news you get, your experience with this current pandemic could be very different. Um, and I think it's just highlighting a lot of issues with, um, you know, print journalism in general. There's also been one of my sorority sisters works for the Indiana Star, which is a obviously smaller newspaper, and they laid off all of their staff. So they're doing no reporting during the coronavirus pandemic. And so there's this huge, um, and this has been happening for some time, independent newspapers or independent local-based publications either not being able to sustain themselves or getting merged into huge conglomerates where it looks like a a local newspaper, but they're basically um, printing the same articles across all the different local branches. Um, So they're using kind of the name of the local paper as a marketing tool, but it's not really local news. So this is a phenomenon that's been happening a lot. And this article talks about that a little bit, but it talks specifically about the Daily Mail. And I'm interested if either of you guys use it. There's an app. It's They claim that something like a third of all Americans use the Daily Mail on a regular basis. And I first got turned into it from my parents because my mom would always send me Daily Mail articles. And then Um, And it talks a lot about in the article, there's like the celebrity gossip aspect, which is not everyone's thing. I like celebrity gossip. But then it goes really in depth about how successful they are in breaking news because they have such a on the ground apparatus that's been there's no local news apparatus anymore. So a lot of especially in big cities, the Daily Mail is able to be on the scene even before a CNN or a Fox News or something like that or even your local news station. And they're able to get really high-res images, and they've broken a lot of the really important news stories. But on the other hand, they are a tabloid, so they're publishing salacious headlines, headlines that are totally overblown. Um, They do lean a little bit more right, so they have a political bend to some of their articles. Um, But they're a rare media brand that kind of spans generations, which I think is really interesting. They have a very large boom baby boomer presence on their website, but they also have a very large millennial and even younger Gen Z um, presence and consumer base. And so I just think it's a very interesting way to consume media because they do do some in-depth reporting, but it's mostly just like salacious headlines and things like this. So that's my hot topic. Well, I think that's really interesting for, well, a couple of reasons. Um, I didn't realize the Daily Mail was such a thing. I mean, just like I get forwarded articles from there every once in a while, but, and I knew it was a little trashy, but I hadn't really thought about it that much in depth. I mean, I think, but I think it's almost like this in the same way that BuzzFeed was originally known for listicles and now BuzzFeed does some incredible in-depth journalism. But what really struck me about your, um, article, Maddie, was this shift away from small town, hometown news. So, um, and I was curious if Janie knows if our town, I haven't been back in a while, do, is the News Herald still a thing? Yeah, it is actually. And it, for a lot of people, that's like how they get their news, you know, Mm. like, especially because the population there is older and, you know, it is so rural, like, you know, not everybody is getting their news on their Facebook feeds or wherever else. A lot of people are these days. They're like checking the paper every morning. So it's lucky that they're still in business because so many yeah. communities, and, the equivalent yeah. is gone. 
And is it still a daily? Um, I'm trying to think. I think it is. We will, but I, I we'll would do have some research. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, check with your mom and circle back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. No, it's so important. And I think this crisis has really heightened it because I've seen BuzzFeed actually speaking of BuzzFeed they they mm-hmm. did an excellent this could have been my my hot topic too but it's related to this um, I think we were talking about it in one of the previous episodes about the COVID-19 crisis that if you take a photo at kind of chess level of people walking on the street it looks like it's a huge horde of people that are not social distancing. But if you take a picture from above or at a different angle, it shows that people are moving, they're moving away from each other as they're walking and things like this. And these salacious headlines, especially around beaches and stuff like that. And BuzzFeed actually, which I thought was super interesting because they kind of have a more liberal bend to a lot of their reporting. They, they did a huge study on like zoom lenses versus wide lenses in photographic journalism and how they went and photographed the same pier, the same beach with two different lenses. And it shows a completely different picture. Um, So I thought that was really interesting. And I think the same thing with local news, when you're, when you're taking a national news approach to what's happening in a community, it's going to be so rounded around the edges to to appeal to so many different people that you aren't really get you're getting a watered down version of what's happening. And I've definitely felt that like living in New York during this crisis versus what I read online and what my friends and family that live in other states are telling me about New York. It's a completely like 180 different picture. So support local wow. news if you can. I was really sad to hear about the, the Indianapolis star and that's like a, a bigger city and they're even struggling. So some of these small town newspapers, I'm sure are really, really struggling. But it would be interesting just to circle back to what Janie said is, you know, I wonder if some of some of the small town papers, pending where they are, if they're doing well, because it is an older population. I mean, you can get Internet most places, but I know there's still places um, in Western PA where it's a bit of a tricky to get it in there. So, um, yeah, that's really interesting. Good article, Maddie. Jamie, um, do, Jamie you... do you have a hot topic? I don't have anything. I'm so That's sorry. Okay. I have... No. I couldn't find anything I thought would be good enough. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. No worries. Well, we are happy to dive right into the interview portion. Um, so we learned a little bit about you at the beginning, but I'm excited. Gosh, so many things. So why don't you start by telling us a little bit um, about your... YouTube channel and how you got into that and kind of what was your, you know, what did you study and how did you kind of start getting the interest and the things that you share about? Yeah. So I, well, I kind of fell in love with YouTube when I was in high school, more just as like a viewer and I got really into it. And I think that's kind of the journey a lot of people have. They start watching it a lot and then they're like, you know, I wonder if I could try to make that. And so that was kind of it for me. Um, And I started making videos when I was in college at Penn State and I was studying public relations um, and I did a minor in digital media trends and analytics. And so I think that I was able to kind of use all that and put it together um, for my channel. and it just kind of built from there. I, I started with my main channel, which is called Pretty to Think So, um, which is the last line from Ernest Hemingway, The Sun Also Rises. Oh, <laughs> but, I love I, it. It's one of my favorite lines in literature, actually. It's so good. <laughs> 
Um, but more recently I've kind of like expanded. So I have like my main YouTube channel and then I have a, a few separate Instagrams. I have my Instagram that goes with my main channel. It has the same name. And then I have the comeback kitchen, which is where I sort of attempt to cook. And then I have the lunch break library, which is where I talk about books and what I'm reading and recommendations and stuff like that. And then I also have a Sims, like the Sims video game. Um, I have a YouTube channel for that and an Instagram for that as well. Awesome. I'm very, I don't understand. I feel like I need you to talk more about the Sims. I'm oh, just fascinated God. by this, yeah. that there's like YouTube channels. Producer about this. Jenny is also obsessed with The Sims. I feel like oh, this well, is a make very sure she follows Janie. millennial thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's definitely one of those games where it's like you can't play it for like an hour. You're going to either not play it at all or you're going to play it for like eight hours. And like that's what you did that day. And I don't really play it like the actual way you're supposed to play it. I just pretty much like to do like home renovations and like give everyone makeovers. <laughs> and basically it's like it's a sandbox game. So you can kind of just like yeah. go on there. You're and like make playing it God kind of. Yeah. And some people like to get really like sadistic with it and like murder people <laughs> and stuff like that. No. I also just like to make them happy. <laughs> It's kind of like there's also, from what I've gathered from talking to Jenny about it, there's like internet challenges. Like there's the 100 baby challenge where you try to have 100. Ba- I don't really know exactly what it is. Yeah, Jamie, I'm sure you multiplayer is doing that right now. And I am like glued to that. Those are super fun. <laughs> like you try to have so many babies in a short amount of time because it's like you're basically for people that are maybe a little bit older that don't know what The Sims is. We should explain it for our listeners. It's basically like you were saying a sandbox game. It's like world building and you can create Sims and then they go about their daily lives. And then you as kind of looking top down can put like roadblocks in their way or like try to help them or give them kind of more like cosmetic style makeovers or give them a house like you can put your sim in a house without any doors and windows and then just like watch what happens that's like the sadistic element or you can be like oh I want to create like my own life um as like a version of the sims which is also really fun and I think from what I've gathered like reading stuff about it I've never really played it fully um I've played the the city sims version i liked that one a lot um i mean i like building I a city playing these but oh sorry maddie go on no but I, I didn't mean, realize they were still a thing no i was just gonna say it's like i i'd imagine why it's so popular now you can kind of it's a like a very calm familiar like distracting kind of thing like you can do routine things on there that are kind of not mindless but like kind of a distraction but you can also be like this is what I would like my life to be like and then run the simulation and see it and so for people that you know are maybe housebound right now or like whatever the case may be I think that's also why Animal Crossing is very popular right now you can like go out into the world and play this video game like Pokemon Go except the opposite because Pokemon Go you have to go outside oh to play it Right. Oh, I thought I thought the animal one you had to go outside too. Anyway, no, it's like mind. a Nintendo Switch game, right? Yeah. You can yeah. like visit each other in Animal Crossing, but like virtually. <laughs> oh. Very cool. I just say I sneezed and muted my mic. That's the first time I've that ever done so that in that three impressive. years. So <laughs> saving my editing abilities. Um yeah. Very cool. How did you end up in Virginia after Penn State? So I live here with my boyfriend, Max. We've, um, I'm like, just, he's over here. <laughs> but, um, 
Hello, Max. Welcome. (laughs) Um, We got together our freshman year of college. And so we've been together for like five years now. Um, And by the time we were graduating, we both, you know, we, he was, he's from the Pittsburgh area too. And so we had both, you know, lived in PA our whole lives. And so we were kind of like, whoever gets a job first, let's just move there. And he got this job here in Virginia and then we moved here. Cool. Are you guys close to the DC area or? Yeah, actually. Um, it's like, like 45 minutes on the Metro and we're like right across the street from the Metro. Oh, nice. That's awesome. How did you find moving from, Shay's talked a little bit about Franklin on past episodes, obviously very small. And then going to where Penn State is, is I've never been there, but from what I've gathered, it's kind of still in the middle of nowhere, but obviously a huge population of people. And then going to kind of the DC extended metro area, how was that transition going from small town to college and then college to adult life in more of a suburban, urban setting? Um, So I, a lot of the people I grew up with were always like, man, I can't wait to get out of here. Like this small town, like I want to leave. That was never me. Like I still have such a happy place in my heart for Franklin. I was always like so involved and like, I'm, I miss home a lot, but I think coming here, it's kind of like the best of both worlds because we have easy access to the city, but we're not in the city. So we, we can go be where the city is and then come away and have a little bit more space. But I'm still like, excited by like the fact that there's like a really huge mall nearby <laughs> and I'm like oh my gosh there's like stores that you know the names of and you don't have to drive for a really long time to get there and it's yeah. exciting and Max is like yeah like of course there's like an old navy and I'm like whoa <laughs> well I think what people don't understand about where we grew up and even though uh Janie and I are 12 years apart I mean until very recently I mean I was probably in middle school when our town got a Walmart like that's pretty crazy you know that we didn't even have um that type of supermarket until the early well I guess that would be like the late 90s early 2000s is is pretty crazy and it's definitely you know I don't think a lot of people have experienced that right we're like oh yeah we had to drive 90 minutes to go to a mall And, um, yeah. And it's funny because I have some friends. It's also, by the way, you'll find that in like five years, people will be moving back there in droves. I'm like very surprised (laughs) at the number of my friends. This old house kind of thing. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Um, but they, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine, uh, grew up in Rocky Grove, which was like the little tiny town next to ours. And, you know, we, we were just talking about how it's so much easier now to live there. So like, to get our school uniforms, I don't know if this probably was the same for you, Janie. Like we had to um, go drive an hour plus to buy the uniform. And now my friend was saying, she was like, well, I can just order that. Like the uniform I can order online. Oh I God, can order. Big day. like Yeah, right. School uniform, uniform day. <laughs> uh, Janie and I both also went to the Catholic school, the small Catholic school in the in the larger town. Did you go there through eighth grade? Yeah. Yeah. I thought so. And then, um, but also stuff like, she's like, yeah, that's how I can get like quinoa. And because they just don't have that kind of stuff still in the grocery store. And I was just thought that was really interesting. And I was like, wow, would have been a lot easier for my mom back in the day if she could have just ordered shit online. I'm so curious (laughs) about both of your 
your sets of parents, if you're opening to talk about it, how they ended up in in Franklin, like what attracted them to the place and why they decided to raise a family there. So I, this is not the same for you, Shay, I'm pretty sure. But for me, my family, like, I think my ancestors like immigrated. (laughs) Like I've had like generations after generations that literally went to St. Patrick's Catholic school. So like we've been in that town for a really long time. Mm -hmm. Um, We are not quite the same story. Uh, My family is from Western Pennsylvania, but they're from Elk County, not Venango County, which is like two counties over more towards um, central PA. I'd say it's like above state college. Um, That's probably really bad. And when my dad listens to this, he's going to be like, how do you not know where Elk County is? (laughs) So my dad grew up at Elk County and then um, moved away for medical school and got married, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, there was a time when they wanted to move back to be closer uh, to family that still lived in this area. And there happened to be a job open at the hospital in Franklin and a good opportunity. And kind of all there, worked out. That's awesome. There we are. Yeah. So very cool. <laughs> but well, yeah, it sounds you, like... your family is Franklin. I wouldn't, I don't know founders, but they've been there for a long time. <laughs> been there a while. Yeah. We still have shop. What yeah. is the main, <laughs> this is just me interviewing now, both of you guys about Franklin, Great. Pennsylvania. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> What what is like the obviously Shay's dad is a physician. We've talked about that on the podcast before. So he was working at the hospital. But what is like the main industry in Franklin, Pennsylvania? And how is that? I'm assuming it has changed over time. But was there like a factory or like a store or something that most people's parents worked in? Or was it kind of disparate, maybe farming? I don't know. So it was the joy. But that's Gone. Well, what is it's the like, joy? I don't even Mach- know. I think it's machinery. It was a machine factory. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yes, they made like widgets or something. I don't know. <laughs> but it, there are like in the neighborhood that my parents still live in. There are like a lot of houses that look pretty similar, and those were like all built really quickly for people that worked at the joy, and so that was I think a big source of jobs for a long time but now like the building is still there but I think it's like owned by something else I'm not 100% sure what yeah. happened transition but it's not the joy anymore no I um yeah I don't I'm not sure what's in there now but it's nothing that's like turning that kind of industry no. and then I mean it's healthcare, and for I think very recently Polk Center was the biggest employer in the county and that just closed and that Polk Center was um like if you'd call it like an asylum for people is asylum the right word maybe not like, like a mental a hospital for people with disabilities oh, okay like an adult that. like an adult like group home. Living kind of yeah okay like healthcare that's um, in the healthcare realm yeah healthcare realm so uh, and tourism is pretty big there so what is there to I think see and do? To talk about the apple festival I <laughs> love Best. Oh my gosh. I was just talking about that with my mom because we were like, what's going to happen with Apple? Oh my God. Oh. Well, I'm from Michigan and we have the Cherry Festival in Northern Michigan that's usually the first week of July and they canceled it for the first time ever. So that's very oh, sad. No. The Cherry Festival. Um, so hopefully the Apple Festival, I'm assuming it's in the fall, is happening. Yeah. Still. <laughs> what is the Apple but Festival? What happens? October, so I love a festival. Time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think what's really crazy about so Franklin has like 6,000 people that's so small I read somewhere that Apple Fest draws 
close to 100,000 people in a weekend. It's something like insane. What What? happens during Apple Festival? I was just saying that's why it makes me a little nervous with all this happening. Hopefully it'll get sorted out. But Apple Fest, there's, well, there's apples. And there's like crafters and vendors and um, people come from all over. There's like a parade. Like my favorite Apple Fest was the year that I like I ran the 5K. I marched in the marching band. I was in the show at the Barrow, our community. I was like, I'm in every activity this year. (laughs) Oh, my God. Your poor parents must have been like. They drove me all over the place. Yeah. That's awesome. Oh Do you God. guys watch like Hallmark movies and get reminiscent about your small town lifestyle oh, yeah. or no? It's very similar. Yeah. yeah. I love yeah. it. It seems so romantic. Did you feel it seems like you both have a lot of warm feelings about it? Like, did it seem like it was too small? Because I felt I grew up just to give you some context, Janie, I grew up in a suburb of Detroit. So it was, I grew up in the metro Detroit area and there's like a million people that live outside of Detroit. So it's it's almost quasi urban in a lot of capacities, um, but definitely very suburban. So um, like my high school graduating class was like 500 people, that kind of thing um, to give you a sense of scale. And like I like my brother right now works at Target. That's like two minutes from my parents house. So the like driving very long distances to stores and stuff was not my experience. But even with that density of people, I felt like when I was in middle school, I was like, I've kind of like found my friend group and all the boys are gross. And then like, it was the same thing kind of in high school. So I'd imagine in a small town, it's like even worse. So how did you guys like navigate being with the same group of people with really no room to like explore that? Or did you guys think that was maybe a benefit? I don't know. Well, for me, going from, I was able to have the transition of going from that Catholic elementary school that I went through till eighth grade to then I went to the public high school, which granted, still a very, very small high school. But to me, it was like, oh my gosh, all these new people. Same. I was, that kind of kept it exciting, I guess, for me. Very cool. Well, I think also, (laughs) I don't know if you ever did this, but it was like very fun to pretend you were like, Belle from Beauty and the Beast and you know <laughs> it's like you're living in the room but you're it's like very romantic and you could like fantasize about going other places like a Jane and Austen novel a little bit yeah but like I don't know if JD and I are outliers in our I was talking romanticism to, I was talking to a friend this is a fun aside that you guys will get a kick out of I was talking to a friend that I I won't out her um I won't even say what town she lives in because everyone who knows her will know that it's her if I say the town, but she lives in Western PA right now. And she is like sleeping with this guy during like the quarantine time, which like you're not supposed to do, but like whatever. And it's like a new sexual partner, not someone that she knew before the quarantine. And we were making fun of her. We were like having a Skype happy hour because she was like telling us about this. He's like a physical therapist. So they would like meet at his office because that was like a neutral territory because you can't go to like bars and stuff. And then he was like, oh, I know a really good gravel pit that's off the side of the highway that we can meet and hook up in the car. And I was like, is gravel pit hooking up? I was like, first of all, I don't even know what a gravel pit is. I had to Google it. Is this a common thing in Western PA? Are people making out in gravel pits? That was like I don't the beginning know. of like a crime junkie. Yeah. yeah. 
And she was like, well, normally, like, in the town that she lives in, she was like, there's only one bar normally, and it's, like, full of people your mom's age that, like, you don't want up in your business. So, like, if you're having, you know, hooking up with people and you want to keep it kind of secret, it's like you have to do it in a field or a barn or a gravel pit. So I don't know if you guys have any experience. I've made out in a lot of fields, but that's about as far as it went. That's very romantic. Not gravel gravel pits, pits. though. That's good. Yeah. It seemed real rough (laughs) in more ways than one. I have a funny story about that. I will not say the guy's name, but we were in a car and we were like out on in like a field and it was like really muddy. And so when we like went to go like drive home, he was going to take me home. he was like stuck like oh, no. really really stuck oh, and no. he could not get out and I was like oh my god oh my god oh my god and he had to call his dad <gasps> and he had to like I don't know if he had to get like chains or something on the tires but it was I wanted to die I oh, was and like, this when you're in high school yes oh no I was like I'm deceased I can't go on anymore that's so also funny. like our town is small enough that you know people would be like did you hear that JD oh, Cassidy yeah. and so and so had to be rescued from well, the field that's what I'm talking about like the yeah. the small town thing with my friend she was like I'm not ashamed to be hooking up with this person but she's like I don't want my mom and her nosy friends to like find out about it so you have to go to like the outskirts of town and obviously oh everything's closed right now anyways but um, I just thought that was really funny, and I just remembered it was also in Western PA. So um, I feel like I know who you're talking about, but I didn't know she was living in that small of a town. I'll tell you after. It's really not. It's actually like way bigger than Franklin, but it's in Western PA. And yeah. but even then, she was like, "There's nothing." You know, she also lived in New York for eight years, so like going from New York to like smaller town in Western PA is a big adjustment. But very interesting. I'm also interested in how was Shay as a babysitter. Oh my gosh, she was the best. Shay has also babysat me in my adulthood, so (laughs) I can imagine. (laughs) No, like, I will never forget this. Well, this will, like, put into context, like, when she was babysitting me, because I remember my mom went back to school for teaching. And so you had me for, like, a whole summer, like, Mm -hmm. every day. Yeah. I remember, like, the one day you took me to go see Finding Nemo in the movie yeah. theater. And that was like, and like, you know, when you're a little kid and there's like an older kid is like really nice to you. And it's like yeah. the most exciting thing in the world. Aww. Oh my gosh. It was like, that was a fun day. Oh, so I sweet. love that. That makes my heart just feel so warm. Like <laughs> I, I'm just so glad. Um, well, I have many fond memories of hanging out with you too. So <laughs> our pretty, pretty princess days. Yes. Lots of, <laughs> have you ever played the game, Maddie, pretty, pretty princess? You might have to explain it to me. Okay. Janie, why don't you explain the premise of the game? Oh, it's, it's been a long time, but <laughs> there's like, it's a board game, but there's also jewelry. But it's like you acquire. Oh, yes. yes, I did play this. Yes, yes, yes. It and you have to like acquire the different yes. pieces. It but was it's like your color. back in like the lizard part of my brain, and now it's in the real part of my brain, and I remember it fully. <laughs> you know, yeah, That's we probably amazing. played that game a thousand times. Oh, I'm not we're even all kidding. we had such similar upbringings, even though you know it's like everyone's the same, regardless of where you grew up. You know, there's just these cultural touchstones. We're all sitting around playing with plastic jewelry. (laughs) It's true. I love it. It's truly incredible. Well, that sounds so nice. I really want to go to Franklin, PA. Maybe next time 
because I drive from New York to Michigan sometimes. Maybe I'll make a pit stop. Yeah, stop in. For that, I'll do it. Yeah, I was gonna say Apple Fest. That's not, I love. I love a good fest. I'm a real fest type of gal, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a good one. It's a good one. Highly recommend. That's awesome. Um, all right, Maddie, do you have any other Franklin <laughs> Franklinite interview questions for? No, I'm just young I'm Janie or myself. I mean, you guys are very. It's very interesting to me because I obviously have not had a rural experience outside of my parents have a vacation home in kind of a remote part of northern Michigan. So I've seen that. And we had the people that live in the house next door to us. They live there full time and they had kids that were my age. So they went to the public school near the lake house and they there was like 70 kids in their whole high school. So they graduated with a class of like 20 people like crazy. And I was like, I can't imagine staring at the same. Now it's like comical because I'm like, I really only see Corey and Jenny sometimes. But I'm like, I can't imagine seeing the same 20 people for 12 years like that would drive me insane and so it was just like an interesting kind of view into a life that I never had but then I saw so many like really positive things that I was like wow that's amazing like they got to go on the lake all the time they got to learn all this like outdoorsy stuff that my parents bought this house so that I would be exposed to it with my brother but that's like their whole upbringing and there's something really nice and pure about that and it's funny to me now because and I see this with you guys to to a certain extent as well like there's I wouldn't say like bigotry but like people in my position like I would always look at that and be like wow what a what a simple life like they're very limited in their worldview but now I see those kids that I grew up with over the summers and like one of them lives in Chicago now like she's super cosmopolitan she like does stuff online as well and I'm like wow like you I was exposed to that way more than she was growing up but we're both kind of at the same point now and it's just super interesting and it's like she's had more diverse experiences than I have so I'm just always fascinated by it so that wasn't really a question that was just my (laughs) fascination um but I am very interested by Penn State in particular because um, I'm a big Michigan football fan. Go Blue. Um, oh, no, but no. I know. Now we can't be friends. But um, <laughs> I I have some cousins that went to Penn State and stuff. But how, how was that going to a Big Ten school? And what was your experience with that? Obviously, like tons more people than where you grew up. Yeah. So I started out at the branch campus in Erie and then I transferred two years in and that like for most people that do that it's like that's all that they get accepted into but for me I was too scared to even apply to the big school at first because I knew it was going to be such a huge transition I was like I want to go to the small school where they let freshmen have a car and I can still drive home all the time. Erie is also so nice I've heard very like it's so beautiful on the lake. Yeah, yeah, that was a beautiful campus. And so like, th- and that was where I met Max. And so that was a really good experience. And then I transferred without Max because he, th- the branch I was at is sort of like the engineering branch. And that was what his degree in. So for him, he like had to stay there to finish his whole degree. And so that was kind of a lot because it was like, whoa, <laughs> there's like tons of people here. And being a transfer student is kind of its own difficult thing because It was like, I would try to get involved with like organizations and stuff, but it was like the upperclassmen had already kind of made their friends. And then you're not really going to connect with the freshmen because they're like off in the dorms and like eating at the dining hall together. And so that was kind of its own thing. But I also kind of think like 
if I could go back and do it again, like I'm so glad that I have Max and everything, but I don't think that Penn State was really the place for me. Like I think I probably should have gone to like a small liberal arts school somewhere. Like John I... Carroll. <laughs> yeah. Like it was a good time, I have to tell you. <laughs> I I didn't really like to party. I didn't really do that whole scene. I literally never went to a football game, which I know is like blasphemous for Penn State, but I just like was not into any of that stuff. And I think I probably would have, you know, like knowing myself better now, I probably would have gone more in that direction, but it was good overall. Very cool. Cool. So now you've graduated kind of to circle back to the beginning of our conversation. You are um, living outside of DC. You've got your lovely boyfriend. You guys have a beautiful home. Um, you're, building your kind of online, I'm going to call it your online business. Cause I think that's what you're, you're doing here. And I love that. Shay, the business um, coach then, comes out again. We love it. I know it always comes out. I'm <laughs> like, how can I help you help yourself? No, I don't know. Um, <laughs> and then you have a nine to five. So I just would, I'm just curious to see like what your goals are to grow your channel and to tell me a little bit more about kind of what, what are your favorite, what are some of your favorite videos that you've made and um, what would you like to do more of? And, you know, that was, there was a lot of questions in one. So. Yeah, no, that's fun though. Um, so my goals, like I, I don't really strive to be one of those like super giant YouTubers that are really like viral and everything. But the, I guess the bloggers that I look up to are people that like aren't really famous, like you probably wouldn't know their names, but they have like a really engaged community. So I think that's what I'm looking to build. Um, and as far as like very the kind smart. Of content, thanks. <laughs> the kind of content that I like to make is um I every month I do an empties video, which is like a popular thing where basically you're just showing everybody your garbage and you're like reviewing the products and stuff. Those typically get really good responses because I give really like honest feedback um but something like this is why I say it's like beauty and I guess this would fall into lifestyle because something totally unrelated to beauty that I do on my channel is I do this Disney review series where I watch every animated Disney movie like from the beginning of Disney and I kind of reflect on it and that is that's like something that I'm super passionate about doing because I think there's a lot of issues to unpack in a lot of Disney movies that's like really important to talk about. And I think especially with the release of Disney Plus, like there's some stuff that's like on Disney Plus that I was like, holy crap, they put that on Disney Plus. Like, oh wow. Like what what was shocked you? Like I guess some of them that are still like super beloved, but it's like like the fact that the Jungle Book is on there, completely unedited. So basically, there's... didn't they release it with like a caveat, like a written caveat that was like, "We know this is racist," kind of thing. Yeah, and like the, I was like, "That's what they decided to do with that." So like, basically, like you're saying, there's a whole slew of movies on there that there's like a little asterisk, and it's like, um, just so you know, this is released in its original format, and it may contain outdated cultural depictions or something like that. And when I saw that, I was like, okay, so there's a couple of different situations here because some of the movies, it's like the whole overarching story is not from a great place. So there's not really bits that you could edit out to make it be like, oh, presentable. Like Pocahontas, for example. Yes, exactly. But there are others where it's like, okay, maybe if we just like took out a couple things, like, um, 
like the cat song in Lady and the Tramp. Mm-hmm. Like Lady and the Tramp overall is fairly harmless, but that song obviously is really offensive and like not something that I would think Disney would be like proudly presenting still in 2020. So it surprised me kind of that they wouldn't have taken that opportunity to edit some of them. And instead of saying, we're presenting this as is, saying this is not being presented in its original form, it's been edited to, you know, help it be less racist, I guess. It's very interesting. I actually take somewhat of the opposite approach that I think that they're like just doing the written response in like the caption or when you're kind of like scrolling through the videos isn't enough. Like I almost wish when you're watching it like during the scene of like that lady in the tram thing is a great example. Like during the scene, I almost wish there was like a bubble that popped up that said that like, hey, we know that this particular part of the movie, like, hey, kind of like written thing. Because a lot of people, you know, these are obviously movies that are very popular. Some people aren't even going to bother to read the description. Like if, if you don't know what the what Lady and the Tramp is about in 2020. Like, you're probably not going to read the whole thing and then you're not going to see the disclaimer. So in that aspect, I think Disney could have done more, but I actually appreciate that they left it in the original um, format just because of exactly what we're doing right now. It sparks more of a conversation, and especially with younger people watching the animated movies, to, to have those kind of educational moments of like, hey, this is how historically it used to be but it's not that way anymore. I think that that's a little bit more powerful um, than just omitting it completely. And there's also like copyright issues of like editing other people's works that may have passed away and stuff like that and having the artistic integrity. Um, So I think there is like a happy medium, but I'm, I'm glad that Disney left the movies as is. I think what's problematic about like, it's almost, you can't win if you edit it or you don't edit it because at the end of the day, to an extent, I agree with Maddie that I I love the opportunity opportunities it provides for conversation and dialogue, but unfortunately, like if we have if David's five year old is watching the Jungle Book, like it it's about what he's absorbing and then become these underlying um I don't even know what exactly yeah. the term would be, but these kind of underlying beliefs like that stereotypes. He, yeah, and stereotypes that and, and you can't explain that to a child and because they are children's movies that that almost I mean it almost makes you wish you could choose, right? Like yeah. do you want to watch it in its original format or rather, do you want to watch the Right. Well, that's where version. it goes to I'd rather you and David make the decision for your own kids than Disney as a corporation making the decision for everyone. And yeah. Like, it would be nice. I actually agree. I think it would be nice if they did both because then you could choose as the consumer. Um, But it unfortunately puts more of the onus on the parents to either have that conversation or choose to fast forward or just not watch that movie at all. But I think it's better to put that decision with the individual than just holistically being like, we as a monolithic corporation know what's good and what's best for everyone. Um, It's the same way, like... There was a big case um, that's going on in Alaska right now. There was a school board that um, voted to ban a lot of, like, really popular books from their high school um, English education. Mm. And it garnered a lot of national attention, which is really interesting because that kind of thing happens all the time. And this is, like, 
a tale as old as time, right? Like, should high school kids be reading Huckleberry Finn in its original form that has the N-word, like, every other second? It's like, you could kind of go either way, but I always kind of lie on the, you know, individuals can kind of understand, and it's up to educators and to parents to educate their kids. And I also think about myself, and this is a question for you, Jannie, as well, and to a certain extent, Shay, because we're all kids of the the 90s and that was kind of a Disney golden era right for a lot of these movies like Pocahontas that we're talking about and I watched those movies as a young child over and over again like Pocahontas was one of my favorite movies and I grew up to not be a Native American racist POC you know what I mean so like if we're not giving our own kids that opportunity like I I think me and my peers I've never met someone that was like this Disney movie made me have racist stereotypes. It's actually the opposite. You know what I mean? So I don't know. Maybe that's just me. No, that's a really valid perspective for sure. Um, I think when I am doing my series, I think about it as, because part of it is I'm just reviewing the movie as a movie Mm -hmm. in addition to like discussing the social issues. And I think about, because obviously I'm not the target audience that this was made for. So I think about what I would want to show my kids someday or like what I would want to show my little brother or something like that. And I, I always come back to like, there's so much stuff that like I could feel a hundred percent comfortable showing them, you know? And it's, it's definitely one of those things where I think that there's always going to be a place in an educational setting to have those conversations. And I think old movies and old books and stuff like that can be great tools to open up those conversations. But I think when there's like the danger of them just being looked at as entertainment and not having those discussions, that's where I think it can be dangerous. But like you said, also, it's not like it necessarily means you're going to turn out to That was your YouTube channel that started singing to us because I wanted to look at something. (laughs) I love it. Um, Yeah, I I think that's a really valid point that you bring up. Um, Yeah, I think it's hard, right? It's also harkening back to our current moment. It's like you can try to pinpoint the problem and be like, we can open up certain areas or whatever, but you're always going to have people that are more susceptible to things than others or you know, have parents that unfortunately aren't either capable or don't have the time or don't have the resources to educate people. And when you have such an accessible, cool new product like Disney Plus, you're going to have these hardships. Um, So I think I think it can kind of go both ways. I wish Disney would do a little bit more, but. Are you, Janie, have you gotten through all the Disney movies yet? No, I am about, I'm in like the 50s era. Oh, you, there's a lot. There's a lot still to go through. Yeah. Exciting uh, content yeah. to look forward to. Yeah. Like so awesome. and what then would you say is your a Disney Channel original movie series? Oh <laughs> my God. I love that. That will That's take awesome. a long time. Um, the high school that I live across the street from now is the Wildcats and I cannot drive by the high school which I do probably five times a day without like starting to sing the Wildcat song from high school musical I remember so staying up past my bedtime for the premiere of high school musical oh, yeah, oh my god oh my gosh oh, I love it so do you have anything new that you're planning for any of your channels um or anything well, you're excited I'm about 
video about um, hairstyles that you can wear with a face mask easily. Ooh, I love that. <laughs> love that. Yeah. We're that one right now. <laughs> it's so true though, because sometimes I'm like, I don't want to wash my hair, but if I do a face mask, then I always get it like in my hairline. Oh no, I'm thinking like a face mask like for like COVID. COVID. Oh, this face mask. God. <laughs> So I like (laughs) giving up caffeine right now. I'm in the process of cutting down on my caffeine and I definitely am like a little slow on the uptake. So (laughs) that's awesome. It's very sad. (laughs) Anyway. Yes. I would like that as well because my hair looked real dumb at Costco today. (laughs) So um, yeah, I love that. And then what, when you talk about beauty products, are you, do you kind of just do a general like whatever you're using, or there are certain things that you're more attracted to than others? Yeah, I'm definitely, so I have problematic skin. I was on Accutane for a while, so I also documented like that whole journey, but I mostly am looking for like skincare products that are not going to break me out, makeup that's not going to break me out. Um, And I also talk a lot about like, I'm, I'm not a makeup artist. I have like some limited training from doing, growing up doing musical theater, but I, I talk a lot about doing makeup that works for like you and your lifestyle and your face shape. Um, I'm, there's so many tutorials out there, people that are going to do like a cut crease and like smoky eye and all that jazz. And I'm, I'm not the one to go to for that. But if you're looking to just like maybe up your game a little bit, just day to day, that's kind of what I try to do. I love that. Um, you talked about the, the online influencers and bloggers that you look up to. Can you name a few for us? Yeah, so um, I I follow a lot of Sims people, but when I'm thinking about beauty bloggers, here, let me get. I'm gonna I'm gonna look at my. While you're looking at that, I'm just gonna pause for a second because it's almost seven o'clock in New York. So if there's ambient noise, it's because people are very loud clapping. Yeah, it's very nice. There's also my block is especially uh, hype about it, and there's a guy that lives next door to me that has a trombone. And he just like really lays into the trombone. So if you hear that, um, yeah, and they play a lot of music. Like every day there's a different song. So yesterday they played We Are the Champions. There's a lot of like New York, New York, a lot of like Empire State of Mind. So that's like a lot. So So there's a lot of like yelling and stuff, but I'm in my bedroom. So hopefully it's so um, Um, so my favorites are always the ones that I've been subscribed to for like years and years and years, because it's like, my favorite thing is always to put on a video while I'm getting ready. And so it's like, I, I, you feel like, you know, these people and then it's like, Oh, I remember when they were with me when I was getting ready for like prom or something. And so I have, um, Louise Pentland, who is a British YouTuber that I followed forever. Rach loves life. She's Canadian. Ingrid Nelson. Oh my God. I love Ingrid Nelson so much. She's amazing. Um, my newest subscription is Brad Mondo. I don't know if you guys know who he is, but you seriously need to look him up. He does hairdresser reacts. So he's like a trained hairdresser and like people apparently, which I didn't even realize was such a huge trend, but people post videos of themselves, like completely botching their own hair at home. And he watches them and basically like <laughs> tells them oh everything that they done and everything. I need to submit because during the quarantine, I was in Michigan for a couple of weeks before this and I did my dad's hair and he gave me like a C plus and then he felt really bad that that was like a low score. And then he was like, all right, I'll give you a B and it was not good. So 
I feel that for sure. <laughs> Max is asking me to cut his hair. I'm like, I'm going to destroy your whole Oh my God, life. it's so hard. I was so yeah. cocky about it. I was like, oh, a men's haircut. I was like, it's the same. And my dad's, you know, it's, it's your dad, right? It's like, it's all the same. It's not like anything fancy, like shaved on the side. It was like all one length. And I was like, oh yeah, I'll just take it all down by like half an inch. No, it is so hard. Like after this. Everyone should tip their barbers, like, double, because that <laughs> shit is so hard. Yeah. David has been asking me if I can shave his hair shorter just on the sides. And I was like, no. No, it's going to be I can sick. do it all over, but the just on the sides thing is making me very anxious. Line and, yeah. yeah. No, no, no. I can't do it. There's a reason why I'm not a hairdresser and why I pay a nice lady named Lauren $300 to cut and color yes. my hair. Like, literally. There's a reason. Oh, awesome. All right. Well, Janie, is there anything else you want to say about your work or what's going on with you right now? I don't think so. Um, I don't know. I guess people can watch my videos if they want to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. We'll have you. We'll have you give all your tags right at the end. But now we have one more segment before we close. Okay. This is the archery range. We're going to ask you a series of rapid fire questions. Just answer off the top of your head, if we say favorite, it doesn't have to be your ultimate favorite. It can be a favorite okay. um, or most recently enjoyed. Um, but here we go. Maddie, you want to kick it awesome. off? Favorite movie? Uh, you've got me all. Favorite book? Um, the Sun Also Rises. Oh, <laughs> love. Favorite TV show? Uh, uh, the Handmaid's Tale I've been watching lately. Oh, so good. Uh Favorite YouTuber? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or you can do multiple in different genres if you want. So that's easier. Oh, sorry. I think I was talking at the same time as you. I said Louise Pentland. Mm. Okay. Great. Uh, Maddie. Favorite place you've traveled but never lived? Um, New York City. <laughs> oh. uh, favorite childhood snack? Um, those little things with the little breadsticks and the little cheese. Oh my god, I love those! I know what you're talking about. Those are good. (laughs) The cheesy things. Oh my god, you're so good at the rapid fire. That's like most. I know you get Um, all the prizes. Yeah. Uh, favorite year of school. Um, do you mean like high school or college? Just any K through college. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Um, eighth grade was fun. Eighth grade was a good one. You got to do the haunted, the haunted house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Our school, the eighth graders, Maddie, did a big haunted haunted hallway that then all the little kids came up and went through. It was very fun. That does not sound Catholic approved to me. <laughs> Dealing in some pagan holiday. Tisk tisk. I mean, we did a lot of Halloween stuff at St. I Pat's, love it. I, I mean, I love Halloween. Halloween. I'm just teasing. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's awesome. All right. Oh, favorite. Okay. Favorite beauty product? Um, Bare Minerals Liquid Pro Longwear Foundation. Nice. We love it. I feel like that's a good place to end. You were so rapid. I have one more related to her final YouTube station or Instagram channel. Sorry. I'm really acting old and tired tonight. It's okay. Uh, Favorite (laughs) dish that you've cooked on the Comeback Kitchen? Oh, my goodness. Um, Probably quesadillas. Nice. I love that. Cool. <laughs> Simple, classic. All right, Janie. So before we close, tell our listeners where they can find you. 
Okay, so my YouTube channel is Pretty to Think So. My Instagram is Pretty to Think So blog, and that's where you'll find any beauty and lifestyle content. Um, my book Instagram, where you can find book recommendations and what I'm reading, is the Lunch Break Library. Um, and then my cooking Instagram is the Comeback Kitchen. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank yes. you, guys. This has been so fun. Thanks, Janie. All right. Bye, Cameron. Thanks for listening. Camp Adulthood is hosted by Maddie Yergi, Resident Youth, and Shay Keats, Camp Adulthood. We are produced by Jenny Mayfield, and this episode was recorded in Maddie's living room. You can find us on social media at camp underscore adulthood. You can email us hello at campadulthood.com, and you can visit us at campadulthood.com. Thanks, campers. We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood.